Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Eiten, here as always with Mr. Todd Atkins. What? And today we're excited. We're going to um, do a little bit of a breakdown of an article from the Harvard Business Review called Who Has the D? How Clear Decision Roles Enhance Organizational Performance. So Todd, fill us in a little bit about what this article is about. Okay, so first of all, this is a form of a book breakdown. So in the 500th episode, I talked to Dan and Chandler about, you know, books and articles and, you know, how I, I still read. I probably read more articles today and more quick things than I do books. I still read books. I have a 480 page book that I just bought uh, on scaling people. <laughs> and man, it's rich, but that's going to take me a while to to digest. But things like this are classic. So this is a classic article from Harvard Business Review. It actually comes from a book uh, that is HBR's 10 must reads on strategy. So if you're walking through an airport sometime, you'll see HBR's 10 must reads on a subject. Those are great because what those are are distilled down thoughts on a specific subject. And Who Has the D is a classic from like 2006. The authors are Paul Rogers and Marcia Blinko. And um, it really is all about decision rights in an organization. Now, this is a business book. It's from a business perspective. So what we are trying to do today is to say, okay, here's our five questions from a book breakdown perspective. This is an, instead an article breakdown. How do we approach it? So Dan, what are some of those questions? Yeah. So first off, so you just wanted to say, we'll link this article in our show notes here today so you can take a look at it. It's on Harvard Business Review's website. I think they allow you to have one free article every month that you can go in and read. Yeah. Um, so again, we'll link that. So if you're looking for this article, go to our show, show notes and we can uh, find that. Uh, but Todd, um, you know, you talked about this article is kind of for business leaders. Is there any particular quotes as you've kind of looked through this that stuck out to you that would be um, helpful before we kind of jump into some more in depth on this article? Yeah, I would say, you know, the ability for. OK, so right from the get go, you've got never mind what industry you're in, how big or well known your company may be or how clever your strategy is. If you can't make the right decisions quickly and effectively and execute those decisions consistently, your business will lose ground. The same is true in the church. It is about the velocity of decisions. So you should be able to make quick decisions and move forward. You know, churches are notorious for being uh, committee based and that is uh, not a great way to make decisions. Even if you do have a committee, understanding that understanding decision rights is super important. So to say, hey, we want to make sure that we have clarity on who makes what decision when. The clearer your vision and values are, the clearer the decision will be and the more easy, obvious and strategic it will be for everybody all the way up and down, you know, an org chart or a hierarchical thing. Um, we don't want to have that. Actually, what we want to do is have a completely flat church. And the reason why I say that is because 
everybody needs to be practicing Ephesians 2.10. And we need to be practicing Ephesians 4, where we're saying, Mm -hmm. hey, we've equipped the saints for the work of the ministry. They can go out and do these things. It doesn't matter if they're a volunteer, a leader um, over a specific ministry, whether that's paid or not. Like, we want it to be really clear on who has what right to make a decision and really what the right decision is. If you have that, then you don't even have to have a conversation about decision rights. Like this, this, this article is moot for you. Um, if you're able to do that, <laughs> how about you? Yeah, I, I, I you asked me what time it was and I told you how to make, I gave you a quote. <laughs> you did. I, and I told you how to make a watch. So go, go for it. No, that's great. And I think for me, one of my, you know, kind of going piggybacking off of what you said, one of my favorite quotes in here was, uh, it says consensus is a worthy goal, but as a decision-making standard, it can be an obstacle to action or a recipe for the lowest common denominator compromise. A more practical objection objective is to get every everyone involved to buy into the decision, but eventually one person will decide. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, it's so true, but I think we sometimes try to compromise so much that just nobody actually ends up making a decision. Or it's a watered down decision, or it's a, yep. it, it is something that's compromised that isn't as clear or isn't as executable or doesn't get executed because nobody owns it. It was made on consensus, and so nobody really owns it. What are some ways that you think consensus kills? I think it just it it slows everything down. You talked about this earlier of just you know we sometimes prolong decisions. I think this trying to get consensus, you know, sometimes some of the greatest leaders that I've worked for previously, you know, whether whether it was the right decision or not, they quickly made a decision. Everyone knew what they had to do, and they went and did it. Whether you necessarily agreed one hundred percent with it, it was a decision's made. Let's go and make this happen. So for me, I think that that whole idea of compromise, although that's good, and and we're going to get into some of the frameworks that this article recommends on how to get to a decision quickly and who to decide, who decides. Um, I think that involves a lot of people, but ultimately somebody does need to make that decision and not just a consensus. Okay. So let's dive into the frameworks here that are in the book. There, There are two that are great in particular. And I just said book. I meant article. I'm holding a book <laughs> that has 10 articles in it, which this is from. So it's confu- I'm, I'm confusing myself. But this is a 20-page article, not even. It's 20 book yeah. pages. So it's like eight pages, maybe. You can get through this in 10 minutes. Yep. The thing that I want you to be able to do with something like this is either take one of these frameworks or take the article itself and send it to your team and then let it be a catalyst for conversation among your team, Mm -hmm. whether it's just the article or have everybody read the article and then come and walk through um, one of the two frameworks. So the two frameworks are one is really what bottlenecks have they identified? So they identify four bottlenecks, break a couple of those down, Dan. 
Yeah, the the bottlenecks to kind of making a decision um, they break break down is um, one is global versus local. Um, that's kind of like somebody's got a high level view of the organization versus somebody on the lower <laughs> levels helping make a decision. And I think as we you know Todd and I have talked prior to this this um, recording of like how that's contextualized to the local church, and I think that can be you know the senior leaders that are looking overall they see the whole budget, they see the whole vision versus a local ministry leader that might be, you know, looking at their specific ministry. But I think this probably even more applies to a multi-campus church where there's global decisions that are being made versus campus specific decisions that are trying to be made. It also um, identifies uh, the bottleneck of center versus business unit. Um, and I think as we contextualize this, this is somewhat similar to, uh, to number one, if you are a, a single campus church, it's sort of, again, the leadership making a decision versus the local ministry area making the decision. It does scale though. So I want people that are listening yeah. to understand this works in a smaller church as well, because whether you're a small groups or Sunday school church, as an example, you know, even like the churches I grew up in that were 100, 150, there was a Sunday school director, right? And so then there were Sunday school classes. So this is applicable to the Sunday school director and the individual mm -hmm. Sunday school class or your small groups ministry and the individual quote unquote business unit. We're in the business of making disciples and you can say, yep. hey, that's what our small groups ministry does. But I would say, does it? This is a great opportunity to get clarity on some of those things. And the bottleneck that occurs in our discipleship strategy between the center ministry of discipleship and the individual group itself. So that's a way I want you to understand that this is scalable. Yes, they're going to in this article, they're going to talk about some crazy big business, but what we are doing is way more important and it's eternal. Mm -hmm. So we should really be paying attention to how we can apply some of these things in our context to get better decisions and to make sure that those decisions are in alignment with our purpose. I would argue that that center versus business unit is probably the one that's most applicable to most churches that are probably here listening to this podcast. As you guys struggle with potentially making decisions, that's probably the one that I would key in a little bit most mostly on. The third bottleneck is function versus function. And I think as we would try to contextualize that to the church, I think that would be sort of trying to prioritize new ministries versus ongoing ministries and how decisions are made between those items. And then the Fourth is inside versus outside partners. And I don't think this is as necessarily applicable to the church um, as it is to maybe some organizations that have outside consultants or outside partners that they're working with. It, but Todd, what do you I think would, on that? I would actually, I would slightly disagree or okay. bring a different perspective on this, Dan. Um, <laughs> inside versus outside. So when a church is firing on all eight cylinders, uh, yes, I like eight-cylinder vehicles, um, <laughs> which are going away, by the way. So if you have an eight-cylinder vehicle, hold on to it. Anyway, the, the big thing that I would say is when we're firing on all eight cylinders, when we are saying baptism is not the finish line, it's the starting line, and we are going to move people from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 to Ephesians 2, 10 and figure out what their workmanship is, then... The people in your church using their gifts in service to Christ, there will not be enough opportunities 
just within the church. They will have to go out into the community and use their gifts and service to Christ. That is how it should be. We should have an amazing impact on our community. Our, the church is God's chosen vehicle of implementation to bring his hope into your community. And your people are carriers of that. And so I would say that inside versus outside partners, um, you have to figure out how you're working with organizations outside your church. Many times there's not a connection there. There's not intention yeah. there. It's somewhat intuitive. There's organizations like uh, Mission Increase, which um, my friend Scott Harris runs. We may we, we should probably have him on the podcast uh, because he works with he helps churches and Christian nonprofits work well with each other and handle that because sometimes we feel like, oh, well, that's a parachurch ministry. They're the enemy or uh, or oh they're just they're going to take my people or they're going to take my people and their money or they're going to take yeah. you know fill in the blank but i would say that is a bottleneck that we should probably just save for another day um and and have that conversation with scott no, that's that's great. That is that is a very good point. So then the, ne the next thing the article does is it mostly talks through then how to break up those bottlenecks and they bring up a framework that is called uh, rapid. Um, Todd, do you want to kind of talk through what that rapid framework is? OK, so this is all about how to get clarity around accountability. So there's there's parts of this that are like, oh, well, these things touch multiple areas, like, you know, going back to your function, uh, function versus function, because there's going to be people that are served by multiple ministries or serve in multiple ministries. So like a family is going to have an interaction with both the, the children's ministry and the student ministry, perhaps, and the adult ministry. And so we need to have some symmetry and synergy across those lines. And so this is going to be helpful in that. Okay. So how to have accountability, assign clear roles, you know, new ministries to enter, uh, where do we allocate people and resources? How do we drive growth in our church? All these things can be like capsulated in rapid. Okay. So who should R is recommend a course of action on a key decision. So this is similar to, I'll reference something else in a second. Okay, so let's just break down rapid really quickly and then I'll kind of, we can go back and forth on the individual letters in it. Recommend a course of action on a key decision. Who has to agree, the A is agree to a recommendation before it can move forward. P is perform, who is going to perform the actions needed to implement this decision. That's where it often breaks down. Who is going to actually execute on it? <laughs> everybody loves talking yep. about it. Every like everybody likes to feel like they had their say, but this is where the consensus piece kills you because you yep. don't know who is going to actually perform the actions needed to implement the decision. And then I is whose input is needed to determine uh, it, the feasibility and finally who decides and brings the decision to closure and commits, you know, the church to implementing it. So those are the things who recommends, agrees, performs, has input and decides when you clarify those things, 
you can make choices really quickly. You can make those decisions really, really quickly. Yeah, and I think this framework is really helpful for the church. And I think as, as you you know, potentially have a big decision that you're trying to make, I think trying to outline who is in each of these different roles is extremely helpful. The recommend is the people that are actually going to do the legwork to say, hey, I'm going to make a proposal. I'm going to make the slide deck that I'm going to throw up on the screen. So they need to go and get the data. They need to analyze it. They need to really kind of own that kind of decision-making process, but they might not be the person that's actually going to decide what that role actually is. Totally. This reminds me of another 90-second leadership framework, which is voice, vote, and view. So that is where, you know, in the past, I talked about us having meetings with our executive team, and this could be, again, scalable. So this could be your deacon team if you're in a, a, a smaller or mid-sized church. It, just help contextualize this for wherever you are. But it was like, hey, we knew we were going to be making a decision. We knew that it probably wasn't going to be an easy decision. And we needed to have the right people around the table. So when we would invite someone, we would help them understand, hey, you have, if you're on this team already, you're, you're at all the meetings. So you have a vote. You're going to help make this decision. For others of you, you have a voice. So we need your voice because this is your particular area of ministry or expertise or whatever. It doesn't mean that you have the final say, but you have information, insight, understanding that we need to hear and and, and get. And then finally, there was the view piece. And that was mostly for um, culture building and leadership development where it's like, hey, we just want you in the room to make sure that, that this will be something that we can follow up with you afterwards or debrief or whatever. We want you to, to see how decisions are made because it will help you make better decisions. <laughs> it was a key yep. part of leadership development to say, hey, just come in here and watch. Uh, it did two things. One, it communicated. It, it took the mystery out of yeah. how they make decisions in there. And two, it allowed people to see how good decisions were made or sometimes weren't made. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but the reality is uh, it was a learning experience and we wanted them to, to use it in that way. So I just mentioned that because I think it's something that, it, you know, is applicable here because you have people that need to agree. You have people that need um, to have input, et cetera. So, Dan, how would you, um, yeah. how would you follow up on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's I think it's important to, again, to, to put people in these right boxes because there are decisions that, you know, the, the input decision, I think, is important when we talked earlier about consensus, you know, where that can sometimes kill us is that there's 16 cooks in the kitchen trying to make one decision. Um, this allows you to have those people in the conversation, but they aren't the ones making a decision. So I'm trying to think of an example when I was an executive pastor is sometimes we would get so far in the weeds about, you know, Easter or Christmas and say, this is what we're going to do. And we would exclude the kids ministry person from it. And they do have relevant information. They might not decide what's happening in the service, but what we're doing in the service or outside of the service is going to 
could potentially impact them and what's going to happen in their um, specific area within the kids ministry. So having that person be an input into this decision is super helpful because they can give you relevant information. They can ask questions about how this may impact, you know, their potential area uh, within that. So they might not be the one recommending or agreeing or performing or deciding, but they are somebody that could that should kind of have at least a voice or a buy in as this article kind of talks about within that. It's it's also important to recognize here, guys, that this is for strategic decisions. This is not for deciding, you know, what snacks we're going to have at VBS this year. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> this is for very strategic decisions. So I would say you can kind of almost judge your leadership on the amount of decisions that you're making, meaning you should actually be making less decisions the higher you go in leadership. Your job is to make things really, really clear. Your purpose, your vision, your mission, your values, all those things are really important. The stories you tell as well. Like all those things should help people understand and feel confident about the decisions that you're making. You think that adding policies and other things make decisions easier. They, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, what makes decisions easier is you being crystal clear on your vision, values, mission, those things, and then telling stories about what those mean, good and bad. Yeah, I, I, there was there was a uh, quote in the article that says, as a company grows, its operation becomes more complex. However, senior executives can no longer master the details requ required to make decisions in every business. And I think that happens in church world, too. Like, I think a lot of times the senior pastor always thinks they need to be um, have they they have to have the D. They have to be the one deciding. And I think, you know. As, as your church grows, as, as things become more complex, that might not be the senior pastor or lead pastor who's making those ultimate decisions on, you know, some of some, you know, major decisions of what's happening. Yeah, this is not about an org chart. So and, you know, and that's where I go back to, hey, the, the higher level of leadership you get, the less decisions you should be making. It's 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 really not about an org chart. Um, don't confuse decision rights with an org chart. What are some other things that are helpful here, Dan? I mean, I think um, even if you don't want to, if you don't want to invest the time in reading the article, just Google the model, just Google yeah. the rapid decision model and you'll get like a one page breakdown of it. And even that, if you walk through it with some of your leaders or key team members, again, whether or not those people are staff, doesn't matter. This scales. Um, so I would say it's important to to think about that. What are some other things that you found helpful in the article? Yeah, I think, you know, just going back to the, the framework of, of perf the, the, the last kind of major piece, although it's it's in the middle of the word rapid, it's the last piece is the perform piece. Um, having the people who are going to 
see the decision be implemented promptly and, and effectively. I think identifying that you said this earlier, Todd, but I think identifying those people who are, you know, you, somebody may be making the recommendation for this and somebody else decides it, but having the sense of who actually is going to own this, perform it and, and really take that to fruition is important. And a lot of times I feel like in church world, we lose sight of as, as we try and get everybody's insights and then move forward to make that decision. It's, it's like, who is actually going to own this and move forward from there. So kind of just like, it's almost like good project management of making sure somebody knows what they're doing and how they're going to make that happen. If you come into grid and you search for ministry action plan, or if you uh, just do like ministry action plan and, and, and my name or something there, you should find a download that has a, a framework and all it is, is like five, you know, five, uh, a table that's like five deep and then like maybe five or six wide. And here's what it says over the top. It has a category for here's what we know or what we're trying to decide. Here's what we still need to figure out. Here are the next steps. Here are the point people. Here are the due dates. So when you're facing a decision like, you know, you, you, you come into something like this, you could make a very similar framework. In fact, we might do that. We might need to just contextualize this article as a new tool. But it's really helpful because that point person is the person that's going to perform whatever whatever task is next. Okay. Dan, what do you think are some things in this article that churches should ignore? Yeah. I mean, I, I, as I was looking at that question in advance of this, I think this article is very business focused. Obviously it's a business article and it talks a lot about success and all of those things growing your organization. And I think churches should just keep in mind that it's you know, this, this is not about our success. It's not about growing the numbers of our church. It's about making better decisions quicker, faster, more efficiently. Um, and the goal of that is to proclaim the gospel, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to do the things that your church vision and mission, uh, you know, want to do. So I think just keep that in mind of like, this isn't necessarily a, a step to grow your church from X number to this number or grow ministries, you know, although those may be benefits of that, I think we need to keep in mind that it's not all about your church's success. So I would say, um, I'll, I'll say it's, it's kind of obvious the things that you should ignore, but there's some things that you should add. So mm -hmm. when it comes to a decision, you need to say, okay, does this line up with the Bible? <laughs> yeah. um, does this line up with, you know, yes, you, it, you know, you don't have, um, a sixth sense, but you have discernment and you have prayer, you have the Holy Spirit, you know, kind of guiding you, but you also need to also have, you know, wise counsel and common sense um, to understand that, hey, are all these things lining up? You know, sometimes people will make uh, a crazy decision based on their quote unquote gut. And I would say, yes, it's important to pay attention to the prompting of the spirit, but it's never going to, you know, go against what scripture says or, you know, your good and godly wise counsel people uh, have, have to say. So I would say there are some things that you could add to it. And that would be prayer, scripture and godly counsel. 
Todd, as, as somebody's thinking about this article, you know, what's something that you would encourage them to potentially do this week in light of it? Um, I would say download the article or read the article and then walk through it with somebody. So I think part of the issue that we have in this day and age is anybody listening to this podcast, they're not doing it for their own entertainment. They're, they're doing it to grow. And so I think you're already ahead of most people. But the thing is, it really doesn't do you any good. Any information doesn't you, do you any good unless you put it into practice. And so I would say one of the ways that you could do that is by taking this uh, article, reading it and processing it with somebody, either somebody at your church or maybe another pastor, you know, um, and just taking opportunity to look through that. So even if you just Googled rapid decision making model and said, hey, what do you think about this? You know, um, let's get together, have coffee and read it. That'd be great. Another thing is in the article itself, there's a um, decision diagnostic that walks through. They kind of help you understand and diagnose, maybe audit some decisions that you've made recently. And it is just 10 quick questions, you know, were the decisions right? Were they made at the appropriate speed? Were they executed well? Um, were the right people involved in the right way? Were the decision roles process and time? Like it's, it's really easy to audit. So I would say, even if you want to download the article just for those two things, the rapid model <laughs> and the decision diagnostic, it would be well worth your time. Yeah. And also, you know, just remember those uh, 90 second leadership starters Todd talked about too. the decision rights one and the voice votes. Uh, what was the last V Vo voice? View? Vote and view. Yeah. Um, take a look at those. Um, we also have uh, 90 second leadership starters on ministry grid that that are made for you to potentially lead staff meetings with some items like this where there's already discussion questions and things like that. So uh, check out that. You can go to uh, lifewayleadership.com slash starters. Uh, we'll throw that link in the show notes as well, where you can sign up to get those uh, leadership starter videos and discussion questions as well. Any final thoughts, Todd, on this article? I would say, guys, uh, there's things like this that don't take a ton of time, but can really help move you forward. The, the big thing is either processing it with someone else or putting at least some type of thing into to practice that you learn from it. So be intentional with it and say, OK, what am I going to do differently because of this? I mean, if you look at grid, all the trainings will have the same framework that go with the, the questions that go with the training. I'll have the same framework. And it's like, what are the general implications? What are the personal implications? What are the applications? How do I implement this? Like all the questions are, are designed to do is help you go through that journey of self-discovery and bring you into action. The same thing, any article, any book that you want to you know, break down Figure it out process it with somebody and you'll be able to move forward. I also would say HBR's 10 must reads on any given subject is pretty good. And you're going to be able to thumb through it and go, okay, out of these 10 articles, here's like the five that are the best, but it's gold. I mean, because it's already distilled down for you and you can process it really well. 
Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you enjoy this, we encourage you to share this with somebody else or leave us a rating and re- review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, and we hope to, to have you on a future episode.